Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to have you here today and to be with you uh, today. And uh, man, we are wrapping up this series on the ghost, and I hope that has been beneficial to you. I hope it's, it's uh, helped you and uh, maybe even stirred up some questions that nobody can answer. That's always a good thing, I think, sometimes. that uh, Sometimes there's just times where it need, we need to be kind of stirred up a bit, and, uh, and you're on that journey. And so, Again, uh, if you have missed a week, uh, go to the uh, LifeChurchWI.com, uh, and there are all the messages there, also on the Life Church app. They're free, and you kind of walk through that. But we're kind of concluding this series today, and so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. I'm going to get there in just a minute. You know, as a pastor, you do all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, you're really kind of a jack of all trades in a lot of ways. And uh, there are days in ministry when you're pastoring that you just am like, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, please. There are days where you're just like, man, I don't feel like going to church. And your wife says, but you're the pastor and you have to preach. And so I got to go. See, you just think you're the only people that feel that way. Yeah, we all do. But, but, but the deal is, is, but I love the local church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And I love being at Life Church. And, uh, and I love serving you. And I love my responsibility kind of as the food dude to serve up the bread of life, Jesus Christ, John 6, 35, hot and fresh, to serve the seeker, build the believer. And, but there are times that you get to do things as a pastor that you just are like, man, this is what it's all about. And you meet a lot of people, you get to hang out with some people, and you know, and, you, and, and there are times that, you know, there's just some like photo opportunities that you get to meet. Maybe it's, you know, uh, in my office, uh, Tammy and I got the opportunity to, to uh, kind of uh, meet Laura Bush, and, and she was at an event that some of you were at, and uh, she wrote me a, uh, a handwritten card and just, it was nice to meet you, Reverend. Thank you for what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's some cool stuff. Um, you know, there's some things like that. You get to meet people and get to be with people and get to go some places and see some things. I love missions. Get to see what God's doing around the world. And in a few weeks, I'm going to be in Sri Lanka with uh, uh, Pastor Deshaun that was here in the fall speaking at People's Church. That's about eight to 10,000 people. That'll be fun. I think he's going to have some fun with me a little bit on that one. Uh, yeah, he will. And, uh, you know, and so I don't know, we'll preach five, six services that weekend. I mean, there's just some fun things. But this past week, something happened that I just, man, it made my month. It just made my month. Above all kinds of stuff like that. I get cards. I'm telling you, I love receiving, like, cards of what Pete, what God's done. I keep every card given to me. Uh, you can ask anybody who's ever worked with me around me. I have a card file. I have files now of card files. I keep, because I just think if somebody takes enough time to want to sit down and write that out, wow. 
Now, you know, the ones that are like those ugly letters that you get sometimes that are un, like don't have anybody's name on the bottom, it's like, they go to the shredder. And it's done. Thank you. Guess why Jesus invented the shredder. You know that, don't you? Hezekiah 3.5. It's in the Old Testament. A shredder was invented. And so, anyhow, so I, I don't even deal with that because haters are going to hate, right? The theologian Taylor Swift is so right on that stuff. Amen. <laughs> So just shake, shake, shake it off. But this week, I got this card in the mail. And, man, it made, it made, it made my day. And so uh, the mom kind of wrote in the card, but it was one of the children at Life Church. And I think what she was trying to do was she got a hold of some scissors, too. You know, that kind of a deal like that right there. Because at first I was like, did the mailman mess this up? No, this, is, this was her art and creation. I may even actually frame this and put this in my office. But it says, Dear Pastor Aaron and Miss Tammy, I think mom helped with this. Thank you for coming to my adoption and for the cuddle doggy. Love, Nyla. No, no, and I'm just saying, like, for me, it was like, man. You know, James 127 says that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And this is the kind of stuff that every once in a while you get. You go, God, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what it's all about. And uh, I, I just think sometimes that, uh, man, it was just a reminder to me that this week that nothing works like the local church works, and the local church works the way a local church is designed to work. And to her, um, she's little. She doesn't understand her mom and dad, Kevin and Sharon Guineer, they get it. Tammy and I, we get it. Um, one day, I, she'll probably come to my office, and I'll have that matted and framed on my wall, and she will get it. And if she doesn't, I'll remind her of that. Like, this is your artwork. Ta-da! Like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he's got that. <laughs> but that's the church, man. And that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. And I just want to stop. And just say, thank you, Life Church. Thank you for being you. Thank you for allowing Tammy and I to serve and our families to serve you. And thank you just for, that's it. I mean, I, that's it. I don't, I don't, that's not an intro to my sermon. It was just one of those things I thought, man, that, that's why I do what I do. That's, that's what puts, gets me up in the morning and puts me to bed at night. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being you and just remind all of us and all of our comings and all of our goings and all of our doings, we're a family. And we need to have each other's back. We're a family. We need to circle the wagon sometimes. We're a family. We need to stand in the gap. We're a family. We need to hold up faith for one another. We're a family. And that's what it means. And so Nyla made my day, month, year, whatever you want to say, and uh, she's yet, yet but just a preschooler, and just was like, wow. So I'm ending today with this whole message on the Holy Spirit, and what is proof of the Holy Spirit? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is in you? How do you know the Holy Spirit is working in your midst? How do you know the Holy Spirit, the, the ghost, that the power is there. Some people say it's because there are certain demonstrations in a corporate service. Some people say it's because, well, I spoke in tongues, and so I know this. Some people say it's because of this or that or whatever. 
I just want to go back to what the Bible says. And I want to show you as we kind of wrap up this series on the Holy Spirit, on the ghost, what is the proof of the Holy Spirit individually in your life and in my life? And what is the proof in our church and what should it look like? Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the Bible says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and Peter said, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is for you and to your children and to all who are afar off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified, which means he was a long-winded preacher. That's a good thing. That means I can be that. that should, Timmy would say that would sum up most of my preaching. And with many other words he testified. And exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And about that day, 3,000 souls were added to them, added to the local church. Now, I want to show you something. This is a true principle. Old Testament, New Testament, this works. And it's kind of the whole proof of, this, of, of the power of the Holy Spirit. When is always connected to then. You'll see these phrases in Scripture. When is always connected to then. The Bible many times will say when blah, 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 then. When you do X, Y, Z, then God will show up. When you stop and listen, then God will speak. When you get out of the boat, then you'll walk on water. When you put your faith in God, then you'll be saved. And what's interesting is, is in our world and in our lives and the way our minds are wired and we work, many times we want then to come before when. We want God to show up, then we respond. We want God to speak, then we'll listen. We want God to do a miracle and save us, and then we'll believe. We, we want then before when. But the Bible doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. And this passage illustrates this. And you see this, seriously, all throughout the Old Testament. When Moses stopped and looked, then God spoke. When David stopped, then God. When Abraham, then God. When is always connected to then. And if you are a Christ follower and you don't hear anything else that I say, I want you to marinate on that one phrase. The winds of your life, not W-I-N-S, but W-H-E-N, apostrophe S, the winds of your life will always be connected to then. And some of you are wanting then to happen, but then never happens before when happens. And the when is always about you. Look at it back in this passage. When they heard this, verse 37. Then they said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, but look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received the word of the Lord were baptized. And about that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. When they did what Peter said to do in verse 38, then they were saved and were added to the church. When they repented and were baptized and then received the Holy Ghost, then they were brought in. When is always connected to then. And, and so, and, and so in the proof of the, uh, 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 in the life of a Christ follower, when people experience the Holy Ghost, 
then life change occurs. When you and I experience the Holy Ghost, then life change will occur in our life. Let me show you this in verse 41. Go back to it. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and about that day 3,000 souls were added to them. When is always connected to then. And in our own lives, when we experience the Holy Spirit, then life change occurs. Verse, verse 38 shows us kind of a pattern or a process of this life change that we see repeated over and over and over in the book of Acts and even throughout Scripture. First is this salvation experience. Peter says to them, you need to repent. you got to get your life right with God. You want, the Holy Spirit is what draws you. The Holy Spirit is what comes into our life. The whole, unless the Holy Spirit draws us, none of us come to repentance. Unless the Holy Spirit convicts us, John chapter 16, he, unless he convicts us of our sins, unless he judges us of our unrighteousness, unless this happens in our life, none of us come to faith. If I don't think I'm guilty, I'm not fessing up for something I don't think I did. If, if I don't think I'm wrong, then I'm not going to admit to it. it. It's when the Holy Spirit convicts me, then I repent. And so this happens in our lives in two ways. One, it happens as Christ followers. I mean, excuse me, prior to following Jesus Christ as unbelievers, we experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he convicts us. And when we come to the end of our bad selves, then we ask Jesus Christ to come into our heart, to come into our life and be our Lord and be our Savior. Then salvation comes into our hearts. Then the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1.13, seals the work of God. We become filled with the Spirit of God. But that's a when and then experience. The next thing Peter says in verse 38 is you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not speaking of the Holy Ghost baptism. He's speaking of water baptism. How do you know that? Because after the, ne the next phrase in verse 38, he talks about receiving the Holy Ghost. So he says, look, you first need to repent, which is a personal, internal, private matter. But then secondly, you need to be baptized. Water baptized. Why? Jesus was water baptized. He's our example. We follow him. Why is that so important? Why is it important that I get wet in front of a bunch of people? Really? Have you ever thought about that? Like, it's kind of really bizarre. Like, we're going to bring you in. We're going to have you do your testimony on the screen. And all of a sudden, we're just going to dunk you in water. And when I was a kid, I got in trouble for dunking people in the water, right? You remember at the pool? Pow, pow, right? I mean, that, and you act like you were Jerry the King Lawler. And anybody? Wrestling? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, that's it. And No, no, no. It, so, I'm, you know, but now I'm going to do the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's okay, right? Right. And, and, and so the deal is, is, why is he speaking about that? Because water baptism doesn't save you, but it's an outward expression of an inward activity. When, when Jesus Christ changes you from the inside out, you want the world to know. There is an external change. And some of you, you've given your life to Christ, but nobody at your job knows. Nobody in the workplace knows. None of your family member know. And you have all these half-baked excuses. But I'm telling you, when Jesus changes you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, when God shows up in your life, then you'll go public. Mm, wait a minute. I'm telling you. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And then the next thing we see in verse 38 is then, there's, then there is this baptism in the Holy Ghost. Do you have to be baptized in the Holy Ghost to go to heaven? No. Baptism of the Holy Ghost is a gift of the Holy Ghost. 
The Holy Spirit is already inside of you at salvation, but there's this gift he wants to give you. It's kind of like you and I are already friends, but I want to give you a gift. Is that okay? That, that, that's what that means. The Holy Spirit's already in you. He just wants to give you a gift, and that gift is kind of this personal navigational system. It's a set of gifts that will lead you and guide you and direct you. Can he do that without that? Yes, but this is a whole nother level. When the Holy Spirit comes in and changes us, then life change occurs. I want you to notice in verse 39, check this out. For the promise, the Holy Ghost, is to you and your children... And to all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. I go back to that and go, is the Holy Ghost for today? It's what it says. Is the Holy Spirit, did it die in the first century? No, that's not what it says. I was reading a, a, a very well-known Catholic um, theologian this week, and he was talking about this subject matter. And basically, it was deductive reasoning and how that he came to the ideology or the theology, if you would, that the Holy Spirit died with the apostles. It's okay. It's his opinion. That's fine. And, and I mean, it, he can have that opinion. I can have my opinion. He can have his interpretation. I have my interpretation. We can both go to heaven. But the reality I'm just wanting you to understand is what the Bible says is that this gift of the Holy Ghost is not just for the first century. It wasn't just for Peter, James, and John wasn't just for Paul. It was for them and for their children and for whoever the Lord our God would call. Well, did God call you? Yes. Did he call me? Yes. I know this is really deep. So it stands to reason that what that says is that is for me if I want it. Then, this promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for me. But everybody who hears this, whether it's a message of Jesus, is not always going to accept it. Look at verse 41. I love this. Then those, not then everybody, not then all, then those. Which those is a selective um, article that, that, that denotes the fact that there were many people that were listening, but not everybody accepted. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, meaning there were some that didn't gladly receive it, and they weren't baptized. But there are about 3,000 that gladly received what Peter said in verses 38 and 39. And again, my man Peter in verse 40, because he said many other words, just like I would say many other words. And I always tell my wife, I must say many other words. I'll be like the apostle Peter. Thank you very much. Many other words. Not everybody's going to get this. Not everybody is going to understand. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Lord says. He who has eyes to see, let him see what God is doing. He who has the ability to experience, let, let him experience what God's doing. But not everybody gets it. Not everybody hears it. Not everybody receives it. But to those that do, there's this life change. 
And I just want to say, the value of the Holy Ghost is not about a weekend service. The value of the Holy Spirit is not for, for the clergy or for the ministerial trained. The value of the Holy Spirit is not some theological abstract that is taught in a divinity school. The value of the Holy Spirit is that in your life and in my life, in every day, Monday through Friday, shoe leather, there is life change that occurs. Because when he shows up, and, and when I do what he asked me to do, then he does what I don't have the ability to do. When I do in the natural what he's called me to do, then he puts his super onto my natural. When he asks me to do something and I follow through, then he does what I have not the ability to do. And whenever we under, understand that the Holy Ghost is a person who reflects and glorifies Jesus, who will convict and comfort us, that will be a personal navigational system that will lead us into all righteousness, when we get that, then he will be released in our lives. When we understand his value is not about some weird weekend experience, but when we understand he is a, is a he, he is not an it, the Holy Ghost is not a force. He is a person. Then God begins to work in and through our lives and lead and guide us and direct us. This is why some people don't get, you look around and you go, well, why is it that this person gets it and this person doesn't get it? Because the when and then has never been met. They have all these excuses. And again, let me say this again about this subject or any other subject. You don't have to agree with me to attend Life Church. You don't have to agree with me to, on it. you don't have to. We, we can still be friends. I'll still let you buy me a steak dinner. Holla. Anytime. Amen. Especially Eddie Martinis. You, you can still buy, I, I, right? We can still break bread together. All I'm telling you is simply this, is that many times in our lives, what happens is, is that we get all caught up in a lot of these things. And instead of just sitting back and just going, you know what? God wants to lead me and guide me and direct me. But many times the things he's going to ask me to do are going to be somewhat feeling counterintuitive. Are they biblical? Yes. If they're not, leave it alone. But if they're biblical, yes, I'm going to follow it. But it's because faith is required. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I have to trust in God. I have to believe. It takes faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some of you want to circumvent that. Some of you want to put it into an algebraic formula. Some of you, it doesn't work that way. I'm just telling you guys, I'm not this smart. I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm talking about me. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer. I'm just going back to when the Bible says something, I believe it. What happens, Aaron, when, what, when your experience doesn't always align up to the Bible? Then I go back to the Bible because I'm fallible. And the Bible says that God is infallible, that his word is infallible. It's inspired and it's inerrant. And here's one thing I know about Aaron Cole. I am fallible. I am uninspired and I am full of error. But he's not. I love what Proverbs says. There's a way that seems right to me, but the end thereof is death. So trust in the Lord with all of my heart and lean not to my own understanding. Acknowledge him in all my ways and he will guide and direct my path. And if I want to live the optimum life that God's called me to live, 
then I'm going to have to understand the when and the then of the Holy Spirit and allow for that life change to happen. And I see many people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but are really followers of an ideology that's partially Jesus and partially something else. And they wonder why they can't get off center. And they wonder why it doesn't work. And they wonder why this happens and that happens. And it's because it has to come from God. It has to come from him. It's not about me. It's what Peter said. Look, if you want to experience what you're seeing, verse 38, then you've got to repent. You need to go public with your faith in water baptism. And then you can receive this gifting of the Holy Spirit that will change your life. And of the thousands of people that would have been there that day, 3,000 of the thousands said yes. Not everybody will say yes. Second proof, though, of of the Holy Ghost is when the church, you and I, experience the Holy Ghost, then growth occurs. Growth occurs. This is, when I use the phrase in a corporate setting, I'm not talking about like corporate, like, like a corporation. I'm talking about corporate, meaning it's, it's a group. We're a group of people. So there's individual and there's corporate. There's me as a Christ follower, then there's us as a corporate body of Christ. Not in a, in a clinical type of a word, or in a, in a business sense, but in a meaning a group. And the reality is, is the same way that we as individuals experience life change and it equals growth, so is true of the church. Everywhere the Holy Spirit works in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, the church grows. Everywhere the Holy Ghost demonstrates himself, people are attracted People come to faith in Christ, and the church grows. I have not found one instance in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit moved and the church diminished. The Holy Spirit moved, and numerically, the church diminished. The Holy Spirit moved, and by and, and spiritual power, the church diminished. Now, I know a lot of churches that say, well, the reason why we're shrinking is because we believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's God's just reducing it down, and he's just pulling us back, and it's the holy huddle. That does not hold any theological water. I don't mean to be mean, but it's not. It's not there. Does everybody get it? No. Will everybody always get it? No. Will there be people that will leave? Yes. It doesn't matter. That's going to happen. But I just under, want you to understand something. That when the Holy Spirit moves, when the Holy Ghost truly moves, not what someone may call the Holy Ghost, not what someone may deem the Holy Ghost, but when the Holy Ghost truly moves in our midst, there's never a subtraction from our midst. There's always an addition. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's the same thing that Jesus had inside of him that was attractive to lost people. It's the Spirit of God. It's the creator of the world that ministers to us. It's our spirit connected to God's spirit. And there's something inside of us that goes, this is right. This is the reason why in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and following, we see this Holy Ghost power demonstrated not inside the confines of the church, but outside. I grew up in church where nobody, here's the deal was, we called it the Holy Ghost, but what was the Holy Ghost? We did that inside church when the doors were closed and there were no outsiders. 
And then we got done. We went to Shoney's. Anybody remember Shoney's? It had strawberry pie. My goodness. I got a strawberry pie right now. Does that sound good? Maybe two pieces. Maybe, maybe a piece of French silk, too. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Okay, anyhow. So in that moment, and that's what we would do. But, but what we did that was called the Holy Ghost, we didn't do that at Shoney's. We did that at church. Because you just kind of, it's kind of like you, you kind of unpacked it, you kind of did it, then you kind of packed everything up, and then you went on out. Why? Because what you called the Holy Ghost would have been everybody would have thought was crazy. Everybody would have labeled you a loon. You're a nut. And then nobody in the church wants to invite anybody to church because what happens, it's weird. And it's weird because it's not God. I, I, ooh, I'm going to get some emails on that one. Oh, well, here we go. Let me just get out of the boat on this one. Uh, but I'm telling you the truth. And what I'm trying to say is, is that when God shows up, you don't have to explain it. God doesn't need you and I to defend him. When God truly moves, it doesn't need you sitting there next to somebody in church going, now let me give you the commentary. I know this person can't sing, but their dad's a board member at the church. So just, let's just hope that the other side of the tape on the, remember that? Uh, it, it, that it plays the, the artist and not them. Uh, look, the reason why, when the Holy Ghost moves, every time in the book of Acts, we see that it flows out of that setting into the streets. And most of the time, what's happening with the Holy Ghost is not happening inside the synagogue. It's happening in homes. It's happening in neighborhoods. It's happening. Why was it not happening in synagogues? Because they didn't believe it. Because they were the people that crucified Jesus. It's a New Testament church. It's exploding. It's growing. And as you begin to read in chapter 4, there's 5,000 people. And then there's more people. That w- theologians tell us that the church in Ephesus that, 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 that Paul kind of planted was close to 100,000 believers. And we think we have big churches here. The reality is, is that the power of the Holy Ghost works most explosively, works most effectively, not inside the confines of the church, but outside of the church. And I just want to say that when the Holy Spirit moves, and it's truly Him, it's not weird. You don't have to explain it. You may have to connect a couple of dots the way Peter did, but people get it. And not just a couple, not just a couple of weird people that have no friends, right? But we all thought that before. But, 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 but thousands of people because it's God. It's God. That is the proof of the Holy Spirit. In the life of a Christ follower, it's life change. I don't care how high you jump in church. It's how, how straight you walk when you hit the ground, when you're at your job, when you're at school, when you're in a neighborhood, when you're around people. The evidence, the proof of the Holy Spirit being in a church is not how crazy the church services are. Quite to the contrary. Show me the growth through life change of people, families, growing Developing, And don't give me this junk about God's reducing his church. No, the Bible says in Joel 2.28, In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will dream dreams. and Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. 
Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Revelation says that before the end shall come, there will be a great awakening. There will be a great revival on this earth that we have yet to see. And, it's, and a revival does not mean to, to kind of keep you and I entertained. It means people that are lost, people that are gone, people that are far away from God will come back to Jesus. It's not about a bunch of Christians coming together and having a kumbaya meeting. It's when the bars shut down and when the prostitutes quit and when the drug dealers leave and when all all of a sudden people go, I got to get to church on Sunday and that Jesus is more important than anything else that I do. That's revival. And so I just want you to understand that's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about you and me. It's about glorifying Jesus. Why is that so important? Because the gospel is, is that God so loved you and I in a lost and dying world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is, is that when we were dead in our sins, that's when Christ died for us. The gospel is, is that when Jesus Christ is exalted, he will draw all manner of men and women to him. And if a local church claims to have the power of the Holy Ghost and they are diminishing and they are shrinking, they are lying. But if they have the power of the Holy Ghost and the power to raise Christ from the dead, and we begin to say, this person's saved, and this person got changed, and this marriage was restored, and this son or daughter came home, and this is growing, and that's growing, that's the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Woo, getting a little excited on that one. I'm going to have to add a third piece of pie. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I thank you today that it's through the Holy Ghost, the person of the Holy Ghost, that conviction and that comfort, the sealing work of salvation, true spiritual regeneration occurs. And I pray, God, if there be anybody here today that's far away from you, Lord, let them simply just give their life to you. If that's you today and you're just far away from God and you want Jesus to come into your heart and you want to know that you're right with God, just simply say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, be my Lord and be my Savior. I give you my life today. Lord, I thank you that every person that just prayed that prayer, your word says that if they believed in their heart, what they confessed with their mouth, that they are saved. That life change has come to their house. I pray, God, help us to remember as a church that it's not about numbers, but it is about seeing life change. This person was lost and they found Jesus. And this person was lost and they found Jesus. And this family was in trouble and they found Jesus. And, and this student was far away from God and he found Jesus. And, and this person found Jesus and that person found Jesus. And let it never be said that we examine the quality of the ministry that we do based upon the decibel in a room or the volume or the length of a service, but rather let it be measured in the hearts and lives of men and women. Let it be measured, Lord, in life change that takes place that we can't do, that only you can do. And I pray, oh, Jesus, let us not just be spirit-filled, 
But let us be spirit-spilled. Let us utilize the giftings of the Holy Spirit that come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to the highways and the byways and to compel them to come in because that's what your word says, Jesus, that this is given to us to be a power to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Help us at Life Church to do our part. Help us to go into our Jerusalem. Help us to go into our Judea. Help us to go into our Samaria. Help us to go to the very ends of the earth. For your name's sake, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, have your will in your way. Holy Spirit, flow through us to touch lost and hurting people. Flow through us to minister to one another. Flow through us to be the body of Christ that we are called to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.